Good, good morning. Let me, is this working? Yeah. Good morning. Uh, my name is Scott Ashman. I uh, am an elder here at the church, and I'll be bringing the, the word today uh, from Luke chapter 20, verses 1 to 8. And uh, Caroline Curtis is going to read the passage for us. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us, by what authority you do these things, or who it is that gave you this authority? He answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say, from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say, from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would allow these words to teach us today. Lord, you give us your word to instruct us through your spirit. And I pray, Father, you'd give us hearts that desire to learn, that desire to obey. Father, thank you that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing you into the, the dividing place of bone and marrow. And uh, we pray, Father, that you would just deeply uh, uh, touch our lives today through your word and through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've entitled this message today, Rejecting Jesus. That's kind of a harsh thought, isn't it? Um, All of us hate rejection, don't we? I I was thinking about the first time I was ever rejected by a girl. Eighth grade dance, I asked the girl out. She said no. I said, well, she's just playing hard to get. So I asked her again, and she said no. (laughs) So I said, oh, I, I I think she's warming up to me. So I asked her seven times and she said no seven times so we hate rejection don't we i I couldn't believe that that could happen to me uh but that was the beginning of my my (laughs) thank you gene (laughs) too bad you weren't in my middle school so um but we're talking about rejection today but it's not us being rejected but ultimately how jesus was rejected We've been preaching through the Gospel of Luke, and we're here in the 20th chapter of uh, Luke. And this, um, this chapter is a series of confrontations between the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day and Jesus. Um, and this passage we're looking at today was the first of several of these confrontations. Um, so the questions we want to answer today is, first of all, uh, why did the Jewish people and the Jewish leaders reject Jesus? Second, how do we in the 21st century continue to reject Jesus? And third, is there any good news for those who reject Jesus? So let's look at that first question. Why did the Jewish people in Jesus' day reject him? As we start to study Luke chapter 20, let me give you some of the background. Jesus is in his last week before he's crucified on the cross. It's likely Tuesday of what we call Passion Week. Um, And Jesus has been making this long journey from Galilee up in the north 
to Jerusalem, the center of Jewish worship. And as he has been traveling, more and more crowds have been following him, especially after he had raised Lazarus from the dead in a very public way. And the leaders of Judaism were getting very concerned. And what they said in in John chapter 11, they said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And then on Sunday of that week, that final week, Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey with great fanfare. He came the way all great kings were supposed to come um, when they come in peace, riding upon a donkey. And the crowds met him and said, Hosanna to the son of David. They were proclaiming that he was the Messiah. Um, And he was not denying that worship and that praise. And the Jewish leaders were offended by this. And he said, they said, Master, you know, quiet your crowd. And he said, I tell you, if these were silent, even the stones would cry out. Well, the next day, Monday, Jesus goes into the temple, that massive complex, the center of Jewish worship. And in the temple, it says that he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Jesus was not flying under the radar at this point in time. He had come to Jerusalem during the Passover week, the biggest week of the year. He'd gone to the center of Jewish worship, and he made a scene, throwing out the money changers. Well, by the time Tuesday rolled around, it says in Luke 19 that he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. So Jesus had cleansed the temple, and now the place was his to proclaim the gospel. Well, by now the Jewish leaders are enraged. He has done everything to inflame their anger. To him, he was this country preacher who was not ordained by anybody. And he had taken his roadshow to the biggest scene, the biggest stage of all of Judaism, the biggest holiday of the year. Uh, By his words and by his actions, he was proclaiming himself to be the long-awaited Messiah. And in the Jewish leaders' minds, he had to be stopped. And the only question was how. After all, all the people, it says, were hanging on his words. If they arrested him, they could cause a riot. They didn't want that to happen. So it says in verse 1 of our passage, one day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, just stop there for a minute. He was preaching the gospel. What would you you pay to go and hear Jesus preach the gospel? Wouldn't that be great? I mean, Jesus is coming to preach the gospel. I want to hear that, you know? Um, What would he say when he preached the gospel? Was he preaching the same gospel that we preach? I hope so. I really do. Um, Oftentimes I ask teenagers, uh, what is the gospel? And oftentimes the answer that I get is, Jesus died for our sins. And that's true. That's part of the answer. That's part of the gospel, the good news. Um, But clearly Jesus wasn't preaching the fact that he died for their sins because he hadn't died yet. And he hadn't really told many except for his 
inner circle that he was going to, to be dying. So what was this gospel that Jesus had taught and preached? Well, fortunately, we don't have to speculate. We don't have to wonder. Uh, we have eyewitness accounts called the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that tell us exactly what he preached when he preached the gospel. In fact, he started preaching the gospel we see in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee and proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So when Jesus taught the gospel, he was, his focus was on the kingdom of God. Uh, the kingdom of God is a big subject all by itself. Well, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the fact that the king has arrived. His name is Jesus. And King Jesus, unlike every other ruler who had ever come, was powerful, all-powerful, and all-good. And he had come to transform and renew all of life. He came to bring justice for the poor and the oppressed. He came to change how we do marriage and money and family and power. His kingdom's about forgiveness and love. You know, Jesus came to change all of that. And he initiated that when he came, and ultimately when he did die for our sins. But Jesus had come to conquer mankind's three biggest enemies, sin, death, and the devil. That was his message, and he had come to bring eternal life to all who would believe in him. Well, the leaders of, Ju- of Judaism were angry. This was not the message they wanted to hear from Jesus. And it says the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came up and said to him, Tell us by what authority you do these things, and who is it who gave you this authority? See, rather than cause a riot, they decided to confront him with a question. And they wanted they asked him about his authority. Where did you get the authority to do the things you've been doing? Who gave you that authority? And when they asked Jesus that question, you know, it wasn't one of simple curiosity. I mean, they were furious at what he had been doing. In other words, what they were saying, in other words, is how dare you come into our city and do the things you've been doing? How dare you throw out the money changers and destroy our revenue stream? How dare you preach in the temple without any kind of ordination from us? How dare you break our rules and put us in trouble with the Romans? Who do you think you are, Jesus? That's what they were asking. When we were raising our daughters, um, in some of my worst parenting uh, highlights, um, when one of our daughters had truly, you know, broken the rules and had, had broken my authority, I would say something like, who do you think you are? And um, one time, one of my daughters, who will remain unnamed, looked at me straight in the eye and said, I'm Christy Ashman. Don't follow my example in parenting. It's not a, not a really good uh, example. Um, but that, that's what the chief priests and the elders and the scribes were doing. Um, these, were, these were the men who were the head of the Sanhedrin. They were, the, they were like the Congress and the Supreme Court all wrapped up into one in that culture. Um, and why were they seeking to destroy Jesus? 
Was it zeal for God that drove them to just want to destroy this good man? Well, at some level, they probably thought yes. Um, but it was more that Jesus had, had come and was disrupting what they had created for themselves, which was a comfortable life where they got to exercise power and authority. They had a system that was working for them. They knew who reported to them and who they reported to. Uh, they believed that if they obeyed certain rules, that they, everything would be good with God. Um, and Jesus was a direct threat to their power, to their authority. Jesus refused to be controlled by them. In fact, Jesus kind of just completely ignored them, treated them like they didn't even exist. If you read the account of Jesus' life, you will never find a place where Jesus asked for permission to do anything. He never did. Why is that? Well, it's the passage that Bob read actually during our worship, Matthew 28, verse 18. After Jesus had risen from the dead, he went to the mountain and says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth. Just think about that. He had demonstrated authority over demons, over disease, over even death itself. He taught with authority. The crowds recognized that. He had authority to even forgive sins. He was the long-awaited Savior of Israel. And while the Jewish people, some of them recognized that and followed him, but very few, most rejected him. It says in John's Gospel... Verse, um, chapter 1, verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. They didn't receive him. They rejected him who had come for them. But not only rejected him, but mocked him and spit on him and whipped him unmercifully and had him executed. So these religious leaders came to Jesus with their question, hoping maybe to trap Jesus with what answer Jesus would give. Tell us by what authority you do these things, or who is it that gave you this authority? They were probably hoping that Jesus would say, God gave me the authority. At which point they would probably rationalize that they could arrest him for, for blasphemy or something like that, and they'd be able to arrest him. But as we're able to see in all of Luke chapter 20, every time the leaders brought a difficult question for Jesus um, and tried to trap him with a trick question, Jesus refused to be trapped. He would turn it back upon them um, to kind of expose their own hypocrisy. So Jesus, in this case, also turns around and asks them his, uh, his own question. Although it's not a trick question. It really isn't. It's a straightforward question. They reveal their deceitful hearts. Jesus answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? That's a pretty straightforward multiple choice question, right? A, heaven, B, man. But instead of telling him what they thought, they decided they'd better have a little huddle, you know, have a little uh, deliberation to decide how to answer that, that question. Um, now, they didn't believe that John's baptism or John's ministry had come from God. After all, John had, had called on the leaders of Judaism to repent. And he called them to be baptized, almost humble themselves such that they were almost like new believers. That was the baptism of John, a, a baptism of repentance. And after all, John had called out Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
So John said, I came to point to Jesus. So certainly these leaders couldn't acknowledge that John had come from heaven. But then it says, but if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that that they do not know uh, where it came from. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. It's really a sad moment when you think about it. I mean, Jesus is basically saying, I will have nothing more to do with you. You know, your hearts are so deceitful that you can't even answer a simple question. And Jesus says, I'm done with you. It's ultimately the Jewish leaders and ultimately with the Jewish people rejecting Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, I'm done with you. So why did the first century religious leaders reject Jesus? Well, because they saw him as a threat to their power, their authority. Um, B, he refused to play by their rules. And C, he exposed them for being hypocrites. Now, you're probably thinking, well, that's a very interesting expose into first century life in the Mideast, right? But what does that have to do with my life in the 21st century? And I would say much in every way. So let's look at our first, second question. How do we in the 21st century continue to reject him? The question we have to ask ourselves is, how am I like these men who were rejecting Jesus? How do I make much of my own morality and religion, but at the same time reject Jesus' authority in my life? Do I ever say, Jesus, how dare you come into my life and mess up my plans? How dare you tell me where I should live, who I should love, where I should work, what I should do with my own money, what I should do with my own body? How dare you, Jesus, tell me these things? Who do you think you are? And Jesus says, God. See, I would suggest to you that there are two types of people who reject Jesus' authority in this sanctuary today. The first are those who I might call complete rejectors of his authority. And if you're a complete rejecter of Jesus, you're probably determined to do your own thing. That you are convinced that Jesus' way is not the best way for your life. In fact, you're pretty sure that the way you run your life is a whole lot better than how Jesus could run your life. And therefore, you really don't accept his authority. Maybe you're here today because your parents dragged you to church. Uh, Maybe you're here today because your spouse uh, wanted you to come and you willingly came. For whatever reason, we're happy that you're here. Even if you feel like, I really can't accept Jesus' authority in my life. Um, It's no accident that you're here. Uh, God has the ability to take even the most hard-hearted rejectors of Jesus and make them his sons and daughters. I'll say he did that for me. The second type of Jesus rejectors that are probably here today um, is what I would call the sneaky rejectors. And that's probably the rest of us. See, we're the people that Jesus asked, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say, or do not do what I tell you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I command you? Jesus said, if you love me, Keep my commands. Let me give you the corollary to that. If you hate me, disobey my commands. If you reject me, ignore my commands. 
Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. What's the corollary to that? You are my enemies if you do not do what I command you. And you might say, hey, Scott, that's too strong. You know, I, I try. I just can't succeed too well. After all, um, you know, nobody can do everything that Jesus told them to do. But I would argue that it's not too strong. For example, Jesus called his disciples to a life of suffering. We don't like to hear this as Americans. I don't like to hear it. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That's Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And the author, uh, Kyle Eidelman, in Not a Fan, writes this. You can't carry a cross without suffering. There's no comfortable way to carry a cross. I don't care how you position it. When is the last time that following Jesus cost you something? When is the last time it cost you a relationship? When is the last time following Jesus cost you a promotion? When is the last time it cost you a vacation? When is the last time you were mocked for your faith? When is the last time that you were without a meal for the sake of the gospel? Can you really say you are carrying the cross if it hasn't cost you anything? Those are some pretty convicting words. And as I thought about it, I said, you know what? As I disobey Jesus, I do it daily. And I just thought of five ways, like, right off the top of my head. And I had that on the screen. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Do I love my treasures? Do I lay up treasures for myself? Jesus said, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. When is the last time that I proclaimed the gospel to my neighbors, to my co-workers? Am I being disobedient when I say, well, I'll just let my actions do the talking? Jesus said, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Am I anxious about my life, my schooling, my work, my family, my money? Jesus said, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Do I fear what people think of me more than I fear what God thinks of me? Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And you say, well, that's an easy one because I don't have any enemies. Let me rephrase it. Do you love the kids at school who you think are weird or creepy? Do you love people who support the other politician? Do you love the drug dealer in your neighborhood? Do you love those whose religion is different than yours or those who don't agree with your brand of Christianity? 
Now, it's kind of quiet in here, and maybe, maybe it's a little convicting. I'm certainly convicted when I really read Jesus' words for what they say. And you're probably saying, you know, okay, that's a little over the top, Scott. You know, we're, we're all about grace. We're not about the law here, right? Uh, <clears throat> and I'll give you that much. That's true. But Jesus did give us the Holy Spirit to take away our excuses. And it's that very attitude of allowing ourselves just a little bit of disobedience here and there that is oftentimes the starting place for falling away from the Lord and and ultimately renouncing our faith. I've known too many people who just a little bit of, you know, disobedience here and there, and I'm sure God will understand, and after a while, they're gone. What happened to them? They've basically renounced their faith. See, in all these things, I'm convinced that I and the man that Jesus was calling out when he said, Lord, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? See, it's hard for us to hear, but when we talk our way out of simply obeying Jesus' commands, in a sense, we're rejecting Jesus. We're saying, oh, I believe in Jesus, I accept Jesus, but I really only obey some subset of his commands. And meanwhile, we kind of talk ourselves into believing that we're really devout followers of Jesus as we subtly disobey his commands. Well, that leads me to the final question. Is there any good news for those who reject Jesus? And the answer is no. And fortunately, yes. For those who in the end reject Jesus, his lordship, and reject that he alone can save them, there is really no good news. Jesus said it himself in John 3.18. He said, whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Those are sobering words that we need to continue to hear. If we don't believe in Jesus, he doesn't condemn us. We're already condemned, is what Jesus said. For those who find ourselves rejecting Jesus on a regular basis, is there any good news? Unfortunately, the answer is absolutely yes. There is another way. Earlier I quoted John 1.11, which said, he, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But the good news is found in the next verse. It says, But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The good news is that Jesus can take men who reject him, who disobey him, and turn them into his own children, members of his own family, if they're willing to repent. He forgives all of their sins, even those who reject him. The good news is that Jesus did not always defy the Jewish leaders' attempts to trap him. He allowed one of his own disciples to betray him. He willingly allowed himself to be arrested, even though he had the power to stop it. And even when the Jewish leaders couldn't find any charges against him, he basically gave them a reason to charge him and put him to death. It says that he could have called 12 legions of angels, 
120,000 angels. That's a lot of firepower to stop them. But in his great love for you and me, he was punished for our disobedience and our unwillingness to submit to his authority. Instead of allowing us to be rejected by God at the judgment throne, he himself took that rejection himself. At the cross, Jesus endured the heavenly Father, turning his back on him. At the cross, God rejected Jesus because all of our sin was laid on him. On the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was bearing the full punishment from God for our sins. He was bearing the full rejection of God. The God whom he had only known perfect love and fellowship for all eternity past. And so he died and was buried. And he did it for love. So that you and I would never have to face rejection of God the Father. He did it so that even his enemies would not, have to for, would not ever have to be rejected by God if they would turn and believe in him. But then there were rumors. After three days, there were rumors that the tomb was empty. That people had started to see Jesus alive, the one that was crucified. And they said, I have seen the Lord. And then he appeared to Peter. And it says that he appeared to more than 500 people, that he rose from the dead. And the risen Jesus started teaching them. And he said, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and their repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So the good news is that even the most vile murderer, rapist, you name the crime, who turns and repents and turns to Jesus can be received as a son or or daughter of the Most High God. The good news is that even the most unloving, self-righteous, judgmental man or woman can repent and turn from their pride and seeking to save themselves and find forgiveness in the name of Jesus. Is there good news for those who reject Jesus? Yes, there is. Yes, there is. But it's when they turn, when you and I turn in repentance. And that's not just a one-time thing. It's something that we do every day. We turn back to Jesus. We have a decision to make every day. Am I going to stiff-arm Jesus? Am Am I going to reject Jesus today? Or am I going to turn to him and receive forgiveness? Am I going to repent and obey out of faith? So as we prepare ourselves for the Lord's table, I'd like us to spend a little bit of time in silent meditation. And really, I want you to just think about the question that's on the screen in front of you. How have I been rejecting Jesus, his love, his teaching in my life? Allow the Holy Spirit to to search your heart, maybe even the parts of your heart that, that have been kind of walled off. God for a while. And when you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, don't stop and dwell in self-condemnation, but bring it to the Father and give it to Him, and you will find forgiveness. You'll find joy as you come and bring this to God. So we're going to spend just a minute or two as we start to prepare our hearts for the the Lord's table. Just, Just think about how have I been rejecting Jesus?